Wesson Walker back. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Going to be with you for the next two hours. You can text us, 704-570-9610. That's the Garage Door Guru text line. You can also follow us on Twitter, Wesson Walker, W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R. I can spell. Again, we got some text messages coming in here on the Garage Door Guru text line. Um, 910 number said, I will be there at the state UNC game on Sunday. While Tur- uh, he said he purchased, yeah, it's not Sunday, it's Saturday. No, right? they no, they, they play Sunday at one. Okay, my bad, Sunday. Wild Turkey, 101 mini bottles he's already purchased for that one. Ooh, 101 mini bottles. How many babies will be conceived if they win on Sunday in the arena? <laughs> With that many mini bottles? <laughs> There's wild a lot. Turkey, I like wild turkey. I don't want no wild turkey, man. I, I'm going to stay off the brown liquor. That is not something that I usually take part in. But you like the brown liquor. Man, Walker, he just continues to, you know. He's just too high class Play into that us. narrative, doesn't he? What kind of narrative did I just play into by not wanting to drink brown liquor? That's your dookie. Do Duke players or Duke fans not drink brown liquor? You they seem us. like they probably would. Yeah, I mean, you tell me. You look like I mean, a you Duke t- player. You could take from it what you want. Walker Filipowski? <laughs> Moving on. AJ wrote in, <laughs> how red is Fitty after Walker's what if of NC State winning? And I said he did have an absolute evil laugh. And I asked you about that evil laugh during the break. Mm-hmm. And all you did was just say that you were going to be unbearable Monday if North Carolina wins. I want to know why you were laughing at that. It, was it maniacal, just kind of going delirious at that situation? I was just getting myself hyped up because I'm telling you, if we go into that building and all those raucous redneck cousin kissing guys and we beat their ass again when they have the better team and we're having the more disappointing season i'm already unbearable monday through friday from 12 to 3 it'll be at an all-time high on sunday because this game is is tailor-made for state to win and win big so if we go in there and win the game i'm forget calling them a rivalry forget calling them little brother they become to us what 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 Wake Forest is to us, an afterthought. Um, a couple people are making fun <laughs> of me because I said 101 bottles of wild turkey, and that is not what my guy meant. It's actually wild That's turkey one 101. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so the way that it's written here on the text line, it's written in two different lines, and it looks like he said he was going to bring 101 mini bottles of wild turkey instead of just actually that's an easy mistake to make well not really people are making fun of it Uh, so i'll take the clowning i deserve all of that it should be connie for not drinking brown liquor so many people are writing that in yeah why why is that is that something worth clowning over like i don't hate i mean i only knew girls in college that told me they didn't drink brown (laughs) (laughs) i didn't no shots given i'm just letting you know what that, that was all I knew in college that did not drink that. I mean, it's not that I don't love it. It's not that I don't even really like it. I just don't drink it. Brown liquor will mess you up, man. You said did you Isn't can't. that the point? I mean, it's not like I... Well, yes, it'll mess you up something serious, though. Isn't that the point? Yes, that's why I get off so what, of it. So what are you on? Like, you like white liquor? Uh, I don't even like... I mean, I don't like vodka like that. But uh, tequila, I like tequila. I like tequila. I like beer. I drink a lot of beer is what I drink. That's what I drink. Well, Am I soft now? You're from what, Bunker Hill or whatever? Of course <laughs> yeah. you like beer. Yeah. Hell, hell yeah, I drink it. The strong, it's weird. I'm trying to get a gauge, and Wes is like, yo, yada, yada, brown liquor. Like, what? talk to me, fam. What's going on? 100%. Keep it real. <laughs> I mean, all I was drinking was brown during the Super Bowl. Just pouring it up, room temperature, chilling, drinking, yeah. watching the game. That's, like, that's when you got children and, you know, you work multiple jobs and stuff, man. You drink like that. 
Um, just sit down and relax, and you just take that heat. <laughs> okay, well, you're going to have to show me how to drink brown liquor sometime, and you can teach me the ways of being hard and an offensive But lineman. I don't do it often, so let's not get that twisted. Oh, no, no. Lush. No. Lush is here, buddy. Well, no, I'm Very rare. Recreational you. drinker. Oh, no. All you do is drink brown liquor. That's all you got to say. <laughs> yeah. Only girls. Only girls don't drink brown liquor all the time. <laughs> let's go to Carolina Panthers draft scenarios here because there's been a lot of hype around Carolina trading up to either get the number one overall selection or to possibly get Justin Fields. I'll ask you this before we get into some of the details. Mm -hmm. Given what it would take to get Justin Fields or the number one overall selection, what would you rather do if you're the Carolina Panthers? I would, if it would only take like the scenario we talked about earlier this week, if you could flip the nine pick for that, I would do it. Because you're talking about a guy that ran for over 1,100 yards uh, last season, he showed that he's really starting to come of age and he just needs just a little bit more around him to help him, but he's proving to be uh, one of the most dangerous young quarterbacks in the game. And he's not just a guy that runs. Uh, Justin Fields has always been, uh, you know, a cerebral guy in the pocket as far as his pedigree goes. And so I, I do it. I mean, I think Justin Fields is – was a better prospect coming out than the guys, maybe minus Bryce Young, perhaps. I think, but other than that, I think that I would take him over any of the other quarterbacks not named Bryce Young. So you would rather go after Justin Fields. The offer that ESPN proposed just a couple of days ago between Chicago and Carolina, it revolves around the number one overall pick. And that offer would be trading Chicago, the number nine overall selection, a third rounder, a fourth rounder, a 2024 first rounder and a 2024 third rounder. So just to try to make this as simple as possible, two first round picks, two third round picks and a fourth round pick this Ooh. year. So all of that would be for the number one overall selection. And in this offer mm. compared to a couple of other teams, they did say this would be the most lucrative trade for the bears to accept compared to some of the other examples that they provided on ESPN. So with all of that, is that something you're staying away no. from if you're Carolina? Yeah, no, I'm not doing all that. Because it's too much. Yeah, that's a lot. They, they have a lot of holes to fill. And when you look at the free agents coming up this season, and not to say the best way is to build through the draft, in my opinion, and when you look at the free agents available, that that's just a lot. When you talk about filling holes in your roster, um, the Panthers need to keep those draft picks to be able to do it. Yeah, I think you do need to build around it. And especially because I don't know if you think Carolina is a quarterback away, right? Like, if you think that there are other things to do with this roster to try to help them become a playoff contender next season, then you do want to have more talent shored up, of course, via free agency, but also via the draft. And now when you're talking about trading all the way up to number one, let's just say in a hypothetical world, Carolina does trade up to number one. Are you going after Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud? You got the pick of everybody. I'm taking Bryce Young. So Bryce Young, the only reason people are out on him is because of his frame, right? Yeah. Like and, that's and, and how many times in NFL history have we seen that backfire? Of not drafting someone because you're worried about them getting injured? Yeah, the size. I mean, how many guys have NFL players do you hear come up? They, they said I was too small. They said I was too this. And now I'm a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees... And we'll see about Kyler Murray, although most people are kind of out on him right, right but now. But he's proven that he's a player in this league. He had a down year last year. We'll see what happens going forward. But a lot of that, I think, is because of, like, people have talked about the study habits, some of the preparation needs a little bit of tweaking. 
But if Kyler Murray gets his head on straight, come on now. He's ridiculous. Yeah, I like Kyler. I, I just hope I hope that he can continue on a positive trajectory. But yeah, I do like I the think talent. his only thing is just attitude preparation. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that size concern. Todd McShay of ESPN talked a little bit about the Bryce Young frame. He's undersized, and that's going to be the whole conversation leading up to the draft. Five ten and a half is what I was told by an NFL scout who went and measured him in the summer. And when I talked to him before the Mississippi State game, he said, I bulked up to about 193. And he's working with a nutritionist. It's just, it's not normal for his frame to be over 200, but I think he's going to get there. So the biggest concern is, can he stay durable and healthy throughout his career? But I think he's a smaller version of Patrick Mahomes. The presence he has in the pocket, the ability to feel pressure coming, the ability to make, to see the whole field and make all the throws with really good touch and timing. He's, a, he's different than all these other guys. So Patrick Mahomes has the frame to go alongside the arm that can throw a football out of the stadium, to go alongside the processing, to go alongside the pocket maneuverability. And I think the latter is what Todd McShay is talking about. There are a lot of clips circulating now on social media of NFL pundits, draft experts, watching Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, all the top quarterbacks. It'll be taken possibly top 10. And when you look at Bryce Young, the processing is what people are praising right now. That his processing, the brain, the mind, the IQ part of the position that comes with playing QB, that he is as good a processor as they've seen in quite some time when you're talking about QB prospects. And that's why if Carolina were to go up and get the number one overall selection, or if you just have a scenario where basically C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are available, I'd be very cool with C.J. Stroud being the pick. I don't want to get it twisted. But I'd still have Bryce Young number one. I just can't live with myself. If I don't pick Bryce with that opportunity to do so, because he's too small and that's what I'm worried about, and then he goes in the league and then balls out, like I would hate living with myself if that was the only reason I didn't draft him. And then if I did draft him and eventually he gets hurt, like, okay, fine. He was the better player. I made the pick for a better player and he got hurt. I could live with that latter example way more than I could with the former. Right. And I mean, where are all the SEC fans at? They talk about how it's NFL liked, how, you know, this is the the best league you can play in besides the NFL. How did he throw it over those Alabama offensive linemen that was six seven and six six and six eight? I mean, come on now, like this is the thing about the draft process that gets annoying. They start to nitpick. They start to overthink. This man has been, especially when you watch a story, he's been bred to be a quarterback since he was a child. All of the doubts, all of that stuff has been there for him his entire career, and all he's done has been dominant. That's all that Bryce Young has done since he's been playing football. If you watch it, he's been a prodigy prodigious talent in the state of California since he was a young child. He went to one of the top high schools in the country and dominated. Like he dominates at every level. I'm taking the pedigree. I'm taking the processing. I'm taking the accuracy. I'm taking all of that. And I'm not going to sit there and worry about the fact of his size. Cause was he tall enough to throw it over those Alabama offensive linemen? Yes, he was. I'm good. Well, and a lot of people, too, might point to Baker Mayfield getting a lot of those passes batted down at the line of scrimmage. But Bryce Young 
has a lot more mobility than Baker. And Baker wasn't a statue, but also I feel like you can move the pocket for Bryce Young quite a bit. And we have seen him dominate in the SEC, where you also are talking about some monster offensive linemen that Alabama recruits every single season, where you're going against some of the better defensive linemen in the SEC year in and year out. I, I am not going to stay away from Bryce Young because of the frame. Now, number one, Chicago has that pick. Let's just say they stay with Justin Fields because there were reports early on that they were going to stick with Justin Fields, but I think Ryan Poles is the GM name. He's going out there and saying, if there is this crazy offer, then we might listen to it. I just hope that Justin Fields is in on the joke, if that's the case, right? Like if they're just putting that out there, I hope Justin Fields is reassured by the organization. Look, we're saying this just to say it, just to play the old smoke signal game with the NFL. But I don't know if that is the case. I mean, I saw yesterday they said that one of the guys that came away from the senior bowl was saying that it's sounding, you know, he heard from several GMs that this could be the move. Now he's coming out saying that he hopes they get a dome and how he hates playing in that weather. I think he could be on his way out of there. Well, just to hear it from Justin Fields himself, let's go to that comment you just referenced. Here is the Chicago Bear quarterback talking about what kind of arena he would like to play in. When it's that cold, you have to bundle up, like put a bunch of layers on and stuff like that. And your body's cold, so you're not warmed up. So I feel like way slower in that cold weather. So it's tough. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, of course, want to try to stay warm on the sideline and stuff like that. But I mean, it's hard to stay warm in that weather. Warm ups and stuff like that. Your hands freezing up. So it's, it's tough. We're going to clip that and just send it to anyone who says that we shouldn't move to Arlington Heights. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I hope we just get a dome. I don't, I don't yeah. care if we're at Soldier Field. I don't care if we're in Arlington Heights. I, I, I hope we get a dome on that. Okay. Side. I don't think this opinion is any different from other players that would be playing in Chicago. I mean, I know you have the offensive line stuff where, hey, we don't wear sleeves. You have that defensive mindset, too. We don't wear sleeves. No, nah, man, if you're Justin Fields, I totally get this. He's not saying he wants to leave Chicago, but he is saying hopefully in Arlington Heights, where they're looking to build that new stadium, that that comes with a roof and that it is closed, if not 100% of the time, all of the times where it's really cold. Yeah, and people have said a lot about it, and it's a lot of things guys won't necessarily say out in public, but uh, I don't blame him either. I don't like playing in the cold, and I play it on offensive line. I don't want to play in 20 degrees. I don't want to play in negative five or any of that. That's not comfortable football uh, for people who say that you've never done it because no grown adult wants to get out there in that weather. But you and drink play brown football. liquor though. You should want to yeah, play. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably weather. have to drink some so I could have an electric blanket before I got out there. <laughs> I don't blame Justin Fields for saying this at all. I don't know if I necessarily would have said it out in public, but uh, for him, you know, it is what it is. And guys like the warmer weather. Uh, I think though, like I said, I think this could be a precursor to him being out of there. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, if if you're Chicago, it's not a bad problem to have. Because the like, Bears like a tough guy, and the fans want to hear, oh, I don't care about the cold. Are they growling? Yep. Like Can a bear? Yep. <laughs> what are they doing? They're going, Arr. I think Robbie Anderson just asked what that bear is doing in the studio. Yeah, that's just sounded like it. Yeah, that's what they want. All right, you can text us. Tell us what you want to do, either trading up to the number one overall pick. Maybe you do want to trade up for Justin Fields, 704-570-9610. Let's look at the biggest storylines the last 22 games for the Charlotte Hornets, and then maybe we can live in Charlotte Hornets all-star nostalgia. That's coming up next. Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFN. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, 
unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I am wearing a black t-shirt to go along with this song. It's the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. You weren't that familiar with this song, Walker? Back in black? I, I know, yes, ACDC. I just thought the joke was, was funny. Well, it wasn't really supposed to be a joke. <laughs> you are back, literally, and you are wearing a black t-shirt, literally. I guess that is true, yes. Yeah. But I, I do know ACDC. All right. Well... Who will be back in about, I guess, eight days now since they told LaMelo yesterday it was nine days. (laughs) The Charlotte Hornets will be back. And uh, let's talk storylines for the last 22 ballgames for Charlotte. Starting off with, how does the importance of this offseason compare to last offseason? Well, I think I think it is really important, and it's funny that we've had this conversation every single offseason. Mm-hmm. This is the big one for Charlotte. All right, if they don't improve off of last season, then it's such a big franchise-altering offseason that they're going to go through. Well, yeah, last year we were saying the same thing, and it turned out to be a complete train wreck. Some of that the fault of the Charlotte Hornets, some of that not the fault of the Charlotte Hornets. You don't have... A lot of these injuries come about in the perfect scenario, but it wasn't perfect by any means. And now you're here in the Wimby sweepstakes. The way this season is salvaged is to get one of these crazy high draft picks. Sure, maybe Cam Whitmore is there at six and you have the bad lottery odds and then eventually Cam Whitmore becomes a star. But it is not going to feel like a win in the moment when you get six, five, four, even the third overall selection. You got to get number one. If you don't get number one, number two, in my opinion, is still a very good outcome. But if you don't get one of those top two, then it's going to be really, really hard to see the light because it's the, it's a lot of darkness that you've experienced this year. So for me, just real quickly, some of the storylines as far as like this, the rest of the 22 games go, I think LaMelo chemistry with certain teammates who are going to be the foundational players here. I think the PJ coaster, because no doubt, as much as I like PJ Washington, I understand offensively you are going up and down loop de loops, everything that does make a good roller coaster at a theme park. Does the PJ coaster continue on an incline and three, the incline of Mark Williams as well. I think those are the three. Because PJ has that deal, because LaMelo is the star, because Mark Williams is your first-round pick, I think those three guys are going to be the biggest storylines of the last 22 games. Um, I think that when you talk about the importance of this offseason compared to last, I would say last offseason was more important, and here's why. Because, yes, this offseason is about getting more talent around LaMelo, but people still aren't going to expect much out of the Hornets next season. They'll tweak the roster a little bit, but unless they make drastic changes, which I don't know what those would look like unless you get Wemby, maybe even Scoot Henderson. Um, but last offseason, before all before it fell apart, you were talking about the team that had just come off of a play-in loss who many people felt had a lot of promise. When you looked at that roster, Miles, Melo, and the crew, they really looked like they had something going and that 
if they made the right moves, which didn't need to be a ton, they could vault themselves into a four to five seed uh, caliber basketball team. So there were a lot of things, of course, monkey wrenches that came in and blew all of that up. But as it stood, as they entered after the last buzzer went off for the game, I felt like that offseason was tremendously important because you had a chance to take this team from a playing team to a top four to five seed if you made the right moves. And so I'm saying this offseason, yes, it is very important. But uh, you're not and not to mention a five JB. So there was the coaching yeah. search as well. So this offseason, you have a coach in place unless, uh, you know, Coach Clifford decides to step down. You have that there. And this offseason, you're just trying to get guys healthy back in the fold. You may make a few tweaks here and there, but unless you can get Wimby or Scoot Henderson, I don't see a lot of major roster moves that this team will make. And I think if they come back as constructed with one to two, three, maybe uh, pieces swapped out, I think this is a team that you're looking at getting back to where they were two years ago, which is in play-in scenario. Bud Lightyear wrote in the Hornets had an off, quote, season last year, not an off season. Jeff wrote in, how does LaMelo play with Scoot? Aren't they the same guy? I don't think so. I know you are not as high on Scoot Henderson as I am, but I don't think they're the same guy. In fact, I think Scoot Henderson is a very good defender out there on the perimeter, and I think he provides a lot of rim pressure. It's why I'm okay with the number two overall pick, but clearly there's a generational guy that you have at number one with the 7'4" victor Wimbenyama, so i clearly would rather have Wimby than scoot but i'd be just fine if scoot henderson was a part of this team and you brought up the coaching standpoint it proves that charlotte thought last year's offseason was really important yeah I, I have no clue i'd be fascinated to see in an alternate universe just what the hornets would have done had miles bridges not been arrested because what, what i'm pretty sure on like 95 percent sure is that they would have given Miles Bridges a close to $30 million a year contract. They would have signed him to that. Another team could have given them that offer sheet, and then the Hornets would have matched it. They were not letting him go. Mitch Kupchak told you that, okay? So we thought that would happen. I just don't know what they would have done outside of bringing back Miles Bridges and if they thought that they were going to get better by just doing that. Because Mitch Kupchak made some eyebrow-raising comments when he did say, look, honestly, we could maybe not do anything this offseason and we'd still be better because LaMelo's going into his third year. Miles Bridges was kind of messing with an all-star appearance last year. And then we're hoping that Gordon Hayward can be healthier again, which, crazy enough, he said it again in his last media availability session, which drives me crazy. So I would love to have seen what they would have done in that offseason. You're right, though. That one was more important and it failed miserably so. So now I don't know what's going to happen this year because you're kind of working with the blank slate other than trying to keep LaMelo happy where you do have that decision for LaMelo coming up sooner and sooner. And so yes. maybe that is a play here with making this offseason really Yeah, important. and I think really just, you know, coming down the line, when you talk about the storylines for the last 22 games, it's just continuing to see LaMelo develop, continuing to see what Mark Williams is going to do. I don't really think there's much else besides that. We know what we're getting out of all of the veterans. So it's mainly just can those guys stay healthy, I think, too, would also be a good um, a good omen for them down the stretch as well. All right, so uh, All-Star Weekend, and we have had many Charlotte Hornets over the years, even though we haven't or even though we don't have one this year. 
Well, let's go down memory lane here. As we said, let me get the text line rolling before we get going on this because I'm sure this will light it up. But 704-570-9610, Garage Door Guru text line. Hit us up. Let's talk favorite Hornets memories from All-Star Weekend. Now, I'm going to start with two. I'm going to set it off. I'm going to talk about uh, the Larry Johnson freeze-out back in the day in Utah. At least, at least that's what I perceived it in. It as he didn't play a lot of minutes uh, in that game. Uh, he went there 94-95 All-Star game. He was a coach's selection. And I was so upset that my guy did not get to play that I wrote him a letter as a young lad to tell him that it was okay and that he was still my favorite player, even though he didn't get the minutes and the points that, you know, I felt like that he should have gotten in that game. I was a ginormous LJ fan. Man. Yeah. Larry Johnson. That's the one where a lot of people are, are winning. Um, excuse me, not winning, but they are living in the nostalgia with Larry Johnson because of everything that he embodied as a Charlotte Hornet player. We have 704 number writing in Glenn Rice winning the MVP. Yeah, We're going to talk about that. That that's the one for me. That's another one for me though, too. And I, I'll let you talk about it a little bit more though. But like with Kimba Walker, I thought it was cool when the Charlotte, uh, when the city of Charlotte was able to host all-star weekend here within the NBA. And then they announced Kimba and he was a guy that was getting to play on the home court, right in the city in which he played in. That was a really cool moment too. And so to see Kimba, you know, get one of those all-star appearances and play on the spectrum center floor while it was being hosted. And that was a big time deal, right? Because you're talking about Kimba, you know, you're not, you're not having him go to Boston and then come back to Charlotte, right? Which would have still been a cool storyline, but we at least got to see Kemba in an all-star uniform while he was still here in Charlotte. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, Glenn Rice, when you talk about what he did, came off the bench to score 26 points, 24 of which came in the second half, and he just came in there and was just lighting it up from three. That was a tremendous moment because that's the thing. You know, a lot of times you don't expect guys to come in and he hit four threes and he helped the East come back from 13 down. And so that's a performance you weren't expecting because a lot of times they make sure they tailor it to the starters for one of the starters to get MVP by the way they do the rotations and things of that nature. So for Glenn Rice to come off and just get crazy hot like he did uh, was tremendous. Another cool all-star moment that people forget about. LJ almost won a dunk contest in Orlando. The very first cover of Slam Magazine was LJ on the front dunking in the dunk contest in Orlando. And he missed, I think, two dunks, if I'm not mistaken, or he missed the attempt. And that's what really hurt him. And the thing was with LJ, when he got in a dunk contest, he wasn't, there wasn't a lot of, you know, grace, I would say, with his dunks. It was just power and ferocity that won the crowd when he was in there. I mean, the 360 he did, he about ripped the rim off. So that was a pretty cool memory. And the fact that he couldn't bring that home uh, because, like I said, he missed some dunks down the stretch. Yeah, LJ, I mean, that's the guy, right? A lot of people are writing that in. That was a Cedric Sabalos dunk contest that he won putting a blindfold over his face and dunking with two hands. Yeah, the blindfold. Do you believe that? Do you think that he could see through it or not? I don't know. 
I'm going to say yes. Your time. Yeah, it was a little bit before my time. <laughs> this is in 93, and I was born in 92, November But of you 92. did say you like to go back and see stuff, so I didn't know if you I do, that. yes. Um, I, I don't know what kind of Cedric Sabalos take I have, but that is, I do remember <laughs> the, the blindfolded dunk from Sabalos, and people are writing in really about Larry Johnson, how much they remember that. And so with me, it was really about Kimball Walker. The other one is, like, we talked about Baron Davis. It's not a, it's not a great all-star moment, but I I do remember bringing him up yesterday when we were talking about the blind man dunk attempts. You remember when he tried to do it and then he slammed it on air. Like he missed, he airballed a dunk attempt. And then everybody was laughing because Baron Davis did that. I believe it was either the year of the Vince Carter dunk contest or maybe the year after, Mm -hmm. but that's something funny that I remember. I'll say this, the Bobcats only all-star in the young Charlotte Bobcats history. Gerald Wallace. Oh, Wallace, Wallace, Wallace. Being able to make the All-Star game. That was cool, and I absolutely got a t-shirt of Crash making the All-Star game, and he's the only one ever to make it for the Charlotte Bobcats. It was a great inbounds pass he had in that All-Star game. That was was about it. I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong at all about that. There was not a whole lot of minutes played from one Gerald Wallace, but damn it, he made the All-Star game, and he was our All-Star, the only one in Bobcats history. That was the one where the Heat had the big three, right? Was LeBron, D-Wade, and... Chris Bosch. I got to look it up. I don't remember exactly what year it was. I just remember. Well, I know he was in a dunk contest, too, and it was not a great showing from him. So we had two moments from Crash in the All-Star festivities, but only one where at least he was able to make that team. And that's as good a moment as we really could ask for from Bobcats fans. That and the All-NBA selection from Al Jefferson. <laughs> how are you doing, Wes? <laughs> no, I'm doing good, man. <laughs> What's I going on? I thought Biddy was still talking. What's going on, dog? No, Talk I thought to he was me. still talking, man. You're good, was, man. You're good. I was handling the stuff of Finney and I's food just now. So what, what are you doing? So you're working on a super secret devious route, right? Like, what, what's going on between you and no, Finney? No, I'm just making sure that the delivery lady wasn't here. Because she what? was texting me because I had ordered, I got me and Fitty lunch from the place that wanted to cater our show. Okay. Well, that yeah. no. That's Hellenic, fan- the Greek place. So, yeah. That's fantastic. That's it. Do you want to talk more about that or the All-Star Weekend? No, not Dude, at all. Honestly, not at all. like, you just talk to me however you want to. The, Listen, the let's court talk. is open. I thought about Dale Curry being in the three-point contest, and then I went and watched <laughs> it this morning, and it was it was rough. The three-point shooting from Dale Curry? Yeah, he had uh, he went up against Mark Price, and he was – I couldn't believe he shot so badly. And he started out well. He started out hot. Like, he started first from the right corner, and then he was cooking, and then – it just went downhill after that. Yeah, Dell Curry is about the guy that we could really hope for to be as good of a candidate as possible to be a three-point shooter. Now, what I do hate, too, is we were clowning about, or at least I was, about Jason Capono earlier in the show. Right. Capono was with us in a Bobcats uniform, he but he was making those three-point contest appearances with the Miami Heat. Uh-huh. And so I don't think we could claim him as our own what at did that he time. Two? He won two. He won back to back. It was with Miami. And I believe, man, I think that was after, if I'm not mistaken. And so that was something where maybe we could have had some praise there as far as a three point shooter. And I'd love for LaMelo to be in there, but he's not because, you know, I guess I don't know if LaMelo wants to go to Salt Lake City or if the NBA. Yeah, because you said, so what do you like? Do you like the stars or do you like the shooters being in there? Like the best shooters? I want some kind of rationale of both. Okay. I mean, for me, yeah. Capono. Because okay. like this one, you got Tatum. Um, yeah, give me Steph Curry. Yeah. Give me Klay Thompson. Yeah. But if you're talking about 
I don't know, a star that is having somewhat of a down three-point shooting year. Let's say there's somebody, like, I mean, honestly, Lamella was a, a pretty good example here. Mm-hmm. If Lamella, and it's not even all that far down, it's like 37%. But you mentioned he's 80th in three-point efficiency. Or three-point percentage. Yeah, efficiency yeah. percentage. Give me give me Lamello over whoever. Like, give me Lamello over even a Julius Randle, because if you even want to go by that route, this is what the NBA did. Julius Randle's already there because he's participating in the All-Star game, and they just decided, all right, let's just go ahead and have Julius. You know, he's already here. Hey, just step out onto the court, whatever. Just go ahead and shoot okay. some threes for us. So you got Lillard, Tatum, Kevin Werder. Herder, uh, yeah. Herder. Tyler Hero, Tyrese Halliburton, Those Buddy are all good. Hield, Julius Randle, Laurie Markkinen. Those are all good. So who would you swap out? Julius Randle would be the Julius guy you swap Randall out. Julius would have to be the one. Yeah. Well, and even Anthony Simons was in there at first. Yeah, and he I, got hurt. He did get hurt. And I know Anthony Simons is a good three-point shooter. You know, okay. I mean, two Portland Trailblazers, too. I wonder if that goes into an effect. Like, okay, you have Damian Lillard and you have Anthony Simons. LaMelo Ball is an exciting player. I'm not furious about it. It would just make sense if we were to have one Hornet involved in some of these festivities. It would be LaMelo Skills Challenge or LaMelo three-point This is good star power in this as well. Yeah, the the stars like to shoot. Like, they're going to be in there in the three-point competition, and that's fine. The dunk competition, clearly not so much. All right, well, let's go over to my lunch buddy, uh, Fitty. The Flashes. Flash. Do you have an update on the lunch order, the catering at the Greek restaurant that you guys are getting food from, or do you have a different news flash for us? Uh, I have a different one, uh, something to keep an eye on. The Jets are hosting Derek Carr for a visit over the weekend. He's very high on their list. I know we've already kind of parked the car on that situation. Let's keep it, though, in the NBA. In an interview with ESPN, the commissioner, Adam Silver, did announce that the league does discipline their officials, saying, quote, we don't publicize discipline for officials. We don't think that will be appropriate. But their assignments are affected by the quality of their calls, whether or not they progress into the playoffs, and then round by round is impacted by the accuracy of their calls and their demeanor on the floor. So there is a system for overseeing and making those judgments about officials. As a fan, would it make you feel better if this criticism was more public and you understood why or why not? certain refs were calling big games and why certain guys were not? Nope, not at all. And that's exactly why the two-minute warning does absolutely nothing to appease fans after the fact. All they want to do is see the official embarrassed because they don't agree with it, and they ain't going to hear you out one way or another. If this thing is publicized, fans, being short for fanatics, is not going to have a reasonable or logical mind saying, oh, okay, I hear what the officials were thinking about there. I agree with that. Ain't no way. I completely understand what Adam Silver is saying here. And honestly, if truly the fan's point of view was wanting them to be disciplined and Adam Silver is saying that they're disciplined, then you should be cool with it, right? But the thing is, you want to see them embarrassed, humiliated, call out in some kind of public action, and you still are not going to agree with their call whatsoever. So no, I don't think that it is extremely necessary to make all of this real public if they're disciplinary, or excuse me, if they're disciplining some of the officials for their call, then honestly, cool. Make sure that you are evaluating them and judging them on based based on how good they're doing, um, how well they're doing their job. Yeah, and it doesn't matter because 
they're still going to make mistakes. No matter what they do, how they try to discipline, how they try to appease the fans, the referees are still going to make mistakes. So when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, Kenny Die of Queens Men's Basketball, a bucket getter, folks. You won't want to miss it. Come back. Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We're going to head to the Body Works Plus guest lot hotline now. And I'm going to give Fitty some credit because he called him the king of queens during the pre-show meeting. And that's exactly what he will be at least on the all-time scoring list for Queens men's basketball. It's Kenny Dye joining us right now on the hotline. Kenny, thanks so much for joining us, man. How are you? Man, thank you for having me on here. Uh I'm doing good, you know, just recovering after a tough loss last night. Yeah, you know, so we'll get to that in just a moment. I wanted to focus on the positive, though, here first. So for oh, people yeah. that don't know, Kenny Dye scored 34 points in this most recent game. 34 is not only a career high, but that 34, the 14th of that 34-point total, actually allowed him to become Queen's all-time leading scorer. Kenny, you talk about a quite a journey, man. I mean, you're talking about your first four games as a freshman – you score a grand total of zero points. <laughs> then your eighth career yeah. game hits. You start basically every contest since, and now here you are as the all-time scoring leader. Did you think this was possible when you first stepped on campus? Uh, not. I mean, I didn't even imagine this would even happen in my career. You know, like you said, those first, you know, four or five games, I didn't even score as a freshman, didn't even start. So uh, once I got that, that opportunity to start, you know, I just, you know, I just – took advantage of every moment and uh you know i I haven't looked back since kenny you're gonna have a ton of records honestly at queens i mean game started i got to call your single game assist record that was a lot of fun now the all-time scoring record you have after your most recent loss what was your favorite what is your favorite record that you hold at queens right now uh honestly i don't think i have the record yet you know i'm looking for that all-time assist record you know i'm i'm a point guard i'm I know I got the the scoring record, but I'm still a pass first in in my heart. So, and I, I'm telling my guys, I'm like, man, please hit your shots because I really want this <laughs> record, you know. So, but I got three more games to do it. I, got, I think I'm like 16 assists away, so I'm I'm gunning that one down. Kenny West Bryant here, and Walker talked about your big game, 34 points versus Jacksonville State. You were 15 of 16 and three of three. <sighs> From three-point land now, it's one thing for a big man to have a perfect night from the field or not miss many shots, mm-hmm. but tell people out there who don't know what it's like when you're in a zone like that and you just can't miss. Man, uh, honestly, like, in the moment, I wasn't even thinking about how I, I'm just going fire right now. You know, I was just, the shots, they just felt good, and um, I was, it's not like I was trying to gun them down or, 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 or hunt the shots down or 
Uh, I was just, you know, playing within the flow of the offense. But once I looked up and I seen I had like 19 points in the in the in the first half, the second half I was like, okay, yeah, I need to keep on shooting because uh, obviously I'm I'm feeling good tonight. So um, I just kind of just played within the offense and just did what my guys allowed me to do. Does the basket really look big, like people say, and it looks like the ocean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little bit. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. There was one shot in the game where I shot. And uh, it kind of like bounced up and went back in, and I was like, okay, yeah, uh, everything's going in tonight. So, <laughs> now talk about your preparation because when you look at your bio, man, if I'm not mistaken, you not missed a game at Queens and you play a high amount of minutes. What's your preparation like during the season and before the season so that you're able to be so durable? Uh, well, starting off before the season, uh, you know, the off season is where you grind, get in shape, get your body right. Um, I, I can pay a lot of, uh, I can give a lot of credit to uh, Coach Matt Grantham. Uh, you know, over the summers we used to be on the basketball courts outside every day in the sun. Uh, you know, when you when you grinding every day, you get your body prepared for for stuff like this. And then during the season, um, I also give credit to Coach Charlie, our assistant coach. He, he gets me in the ice bath, um, tries to get me to take a little bit more care of my body since I am playing all those minutes. But you know, you just got to take care of your body and, and do what you have to do when you know that you're probably not going to come out more than twice a game. So, what's what's the hardest? drill that you do because a lot of people know athletes train and stuff like that but I know I like to get into the gritty of what exactly that you do because I play sports at college as well and I know some of the awful drills that you have to do what's probably the hardest thing that you do where you just absolutely hate it but you know it's necessary man uh, that, that's tough there's so, there's so many drills that I've, I've done under Coach Lundy my previous coach uh, Coach Leonard my coach now uh I would probably say so. We have this drill where um, you, you're playing defense and you're zigzagging the ball for a minute, going down and back, down and back, full court. Uh, you're zigzagging the ball handler. You do that for like a minute straight, and you get no stops. So once you get down to the one side of the court, then the next ball handler is on, and you're going right back down, zigzagging, turning them, and that's for like a minute straight. So by the time that drill is done, man, your legs are gone. Feel like you can't breathe. So that's probably the hardest one. That does contribute to a high-flying uh, style of offense that this Queens team plays, though, under both coaches, Bart Lundy as well as Grant Leonard. It's Kenny Dye, the all-time leading scorer for Queens, joining us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And, Kenny, we haven't had a chance to talk since you guys did make that jump from Division Two to Division One. What has been the biggest difference right. making this jump over the last season? Um, that, that difference, you know, uh, margin of error. Um, we're finding that out. Um, with these past, with this, you know, kind of on the on the streak where we're struggling a little bit, having a lot of close games. So just the margin of error, you know, you, you can't have three, four minute spans where you're not playing your best. You got to play your best all 40 minutes. So that's that's probably the biggest difference this year. Well, and Kenny, I mean, watching the last the the, the last couple of years, watching the way the offense operated over. Um, uh, Coach Lundy's tenure, you know, Coach Litter told us that Bart Lundy would start to call some plays every now and then, and you would have a little bit more uh, of a set half-court offense when you would run it. And now Grant Leonard is kind of more free-flowing because he doesn't want the defense to be able to prepare if you guys don't have this set amount of offense that you're running. How hard has that been to transition to under Coach Leonard, and uh, how different is that to have this free-flowing set that you guys are running? 
Uh, it, it's, it's definitely different. Um, we're still trying to figure it out as a group because, you know, there's times where we feel like like we want to, uh, we should settle down or there's times where we feel like we're not sure what we're doing. But, um, like, again, like you said, Coach Leonard wants the defense not to be set. And so, like, the type of shots we get, we might feel like they're bad shots. But in reality, we, you know, we're getting the defense spinning and then we get an open three-point shot. So we're still, you know, I wish I could be here another year to help these guys, you know, uh, transition one more time right. and kind of figure things out. But um, they're going to figure it out. and We're all starting to figure out you know, what the good shots are and what the bad shots are. Well, and the thing is, I mean, all these losses that you've had, the last three, the four of the last five, they're really all single digits, right? Four against Eastern Kentucky. You lose by four against Bellarmine. You lose by about seven in this most recent game against Jacksonville State. What's going on in those crunch time minutes, Kenny? Can you put a finger on it as to why some of the close games you're losing here lately? What do you think it is? Um, So, yeah, like I said, um, you know, margin of error. So, like, this last game we just lost, we came out first in the second half, and we had a three-minute span where we had miscues on defense, where we just, you know, we were just sleeping on defense, and, you know, they get two back-to-back threes, and um, that puts us in the, in a hole early. So, it's, and even in the EKU and the Bellarmine game, uh, just, you know, those little two, three-minute spans where we're just mm-hmm. sleeping on defense, um, that really comes back to bite us. Because now in the second half, we're, we're, we're playing from being down eight or ten so um, we we just got to figure out how to come out with better energy in the second half. And we, if we can take those fans away, you know, we'll be on top and not, you know, losing those games. Kenny, all the awesome things that you've done at Queens, and I'm sure that in this era of college sports with the transfer portal and all the player movement, I'm sure there have been other schools that have come calling. But what has made you stay at Queens and talk about how much uh, you enjoy being in that program? Uh, you know, it's just my loyalty, man. That's just how I am. I'm a... Uh, always loyal to the people who are loyal to me and, and have that trust in me. Um, you know, Queens, it's a great place. It's done a lot for me in my career. And, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't repay them enough for what they've done for me. So, um, you know, just me staying here, you know, but if I would have transferred, you know, who knows where my career would have went. I might have not had the same opportunity at a different school like I do here at Queens. So, um, me being here at Queens has set me set me up for for a good career in the future. Yeah, I'm sure Queens is thankful as well. I mean, you got all the records, so I'm sure Queens is extremely <laughs> thankful as well. That's Kenny Dye again, the newest all-time leading scorer for Queens men's basketball, joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. They're going to be playing again, first against Kennesaw State on the road, but go check go check that team out on February 22nd. They're going to be playing the best team of the conference, Liberty, at seven o'clock here in the city of Charlotte. It's going to be a fun one. Kenny, congratulations, man! Look forward to watching you these next few games in the regular season. Thank you so much. And, you know, thank you for supporting us and, and having me on the show. Thanks, oh, Kenny. It was a blast. Kenny Dye, about 17 and a half points per game on 47% shooting, five assists per game, and also now the all-time leading scorer, 16 assists in a game one time, single game record. He's going to have the career assist record. He's already got the starts record. It's absolutely bonkers what he's been able to accomplish over with that basketball program. One more hour to go here on Wesson Walker. It's coming up. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.